Hey everybody, it's Audrey Ellis and you're listening to Ask Audrey. Now that I've been doing this uh, anxiety series, if you will, I kind of feel weird like calling my show Ask Audrey. I kind of feel weird that the premise of my podcast was to give advice to people and now I'm you know, sharing stories about my life and my personal struggles with mental health to the point that I feel like so vulnerable. I feel like, wow. Wow, what was I thinking calling this Ask Audrey? Like, who's going to ask me questions now? Who's going to ask for my advice now? I don't know. Maybe somebody still will, but I do feel kind of silly. I can't lie. But until I find another name for the show, if anything else would fit more than than Ask Audrey, then I'll just keep it at that because, you know, I have too many things to focus on, like trying to get the nerve to tell these stories. And that's more important than trying to figure out if the name makes sense. But that's just how I've been feeling. You know, a little embarrassed, but embarrassment is natural. I'm not going to let it scare me. I'm not going to let it make me back down. I'm just going to do my thing. <laughs> but yesterday, I did take a day to kind of take a breather and make sure that I wanted to move forward because today's episode, I wanted to talk about PTSD and my struggles with that. And in order to talk about that, I have to admit something that I generally tell everybody. It's like not really a big deal for me to tell everybody, but in this medium, in this setting, to say it, it's like, I think about how they say once something's been put on the internet, it never goes away. You can't erase it. And so, you know, having to weigh the consequences of that was serious to me. So yesterday I had to just take a moment and kind of think about it and make sure I felt comfortable with the story that I'm getting ready to tell to explain my bout or my struggle with PTSD. And it's, I think it's really bad. Like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know, like, I don't want to compare because everyone has their own, you know, different cause. People who struggle with PTSD have different causes and I don't like to like gauge one, you know, or compare one to the other and say, oh, this one's greater, this one's less than because it's PTSD. So to each their own, like your own personal traumatic event that you experienced is was traumatic enough that you now have, you know, PTSD. And so I definitely respect the war veterans, you know, who fought for the country, for our country and for any country, you know, for, um, for, moral and ethical and and just what's the other word i'm looking for it's like moral oh, i can't think of another word but for moral and ethical purposes i appreciate that and so i respect you know the ptsd in that regard i don't want to ever you know make it seem like it's the same it doesn't have to be the same for it to be important so speaking of ptsd is usually related to like war veterans. Most people think PTSD and they think of people who've gone to war because you've seen all the reenactments on TV shows and in movies where, you know, a soldier comes home from war and the car backfiring outside will make him think of, you know, something that happened in Desert Storm or something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, he's curled up in a ball or he's ready to fight or whatever emotion was triggered by that sound or by that, that um, seemingly relevant scenario. Like, it seems like it, he's back on, you know, on the battlefield. Whatever emotion it triggers, whether it's fear, whether it's fight, whether it's tears or sweating, whatever the case may be, most people envision that when they think PTSD. But I would hope that people know that PTSD can also come from, you know, childhood traumas, car accidents, you know, death of a loved one, you know, near-death experiences. Like, these, there's other things that can also cause PTSD. And according to the National Institute of Mental Health, the definition of PTSD is actually um, 
It's pretty much a disorder that someone develops, you know, after having experienced a shocking, scary, or dangerous event. So it doesn't have to be just one particular setting, war. It doesn't have to be that. You know, a shocking event could be, you know, if you witnessed a bomb blow up, you know, in, in front of your very eyes and a few people were hurt or even killed. Shocking and scary and dangerous, you know, all those things at once. Um, if someone you're very close to passed away and it made you feel like your own mortality was in jeopardy or in danger, that's shocking. It could be scary. You can feel like you're in danger. You know, um, if you were abused in any way as a child, whether sexually abused or physically abused, emotionally abused, or all three, then those things can cause PTSD. And so my struggle with PTSD comes from sexual abuse that I experienced during my childhood. Now, like I said, I think I said it, I don't know, like I'm a little nervous, a little anxious, but duh, that's why I'm saying I have anxiety, because it happens. But, take a breath. <laughs> but um, the, the sexual abuse that I experienced as a child, like I've I'll tell anybody, like anybody who asks me to tell me about myself, I'm like, if you want to get deep, I'll tell you, you know, if you don't want to get deep, don't ask me, but I don't really mind telling people face to face. And sometimes I feel like, you know, or I should say I've learned in therapy, that's not the best thing to just run around telling anybody your personal business. But I mean, I kind of went like full force because initially I didn't want to admit it to anybody because I was so ashamed and so scared and afraid of the judgment and the ridicule and, you know, all the critical words I thought I would hear from people. So I wanted to keep it a secret. And I learned that you're not supposed to, like the more you say it and admit it, the freer you'll feel. And it's true. The more you say it, the freer you do feel. The more you admit it, the freer you do feel. But you have to be careful because it's not fair to put a lot on other people. And I feel like I've done that. So if anybody I've done that to ever listens, I just want to say I'm sorry. It wasn't on purpose. I was just trying to get myself free of the guilt and the pain and the fear and all that good stuff. So hopefully I didn't, you know, not even being funny, hopefully I didn't traumatize your life, you know, by sharing something so jarring with you. But PTSD, just to give a little bit more of a breakthrough, and I'm kind of just going based on the National Institute of Mental Health because it's um, it's a government agency. And so, you know, I feel like there's a lot of uh, reputable studies that have been done that the government agency has acquired that we're able to go to for our own, like as a resource so we can kind of you know, read up on and, and understand better what these mental health issues mean. So as far as PTSD, um, some of the symptoms that you can have when you have PTSD, according to this website, are like flashbacks, you know, when you relive the trauma over and over again, um, and it can actually make you feel like you're in it again to the point that your heart is racing and your whole body starts to sweat, you know, and it can either be in present day in, in the like the current moment, or it can be through a bad dream or just through frightening thoughts. And I know personally that I've had, you know, all three, I've had, you know, present moments where the like invasive thoughts will enter my head about what happened to me. And I'll like literally shake my head left to right, trying to get the thought out of my head. And I'll tell myself, no, 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 no. Like, no, don't think about that. No, don't think about that. And then I've had bad dreams. I wake up from a bad dream and I'll have to, I have to tell somebody because it bothers me so bad that I feel like I'm going to have a bad day if I don't get that off my chest. So I either journal or I talk to my sisters or I talk to somebody because the dreams are so, they feel so real that they're just, they feel disturbing sometimes. And then I've had frightening thoughts about what happened and about what could have happened, you know, if, you know, the situations or circumstances weren't different or if the person was, you know, more violent or more, um, you know, more of a, 
an evil, hateful person. Because I don't think that the person who did this, did this to me was evil. I think this person had their own issues. Sexual abuse, I don't believe, starts from just one person having this idea to, you know, touch a child or touch a person in the wrong way. I believe that it is like a habit. Some people, you know, if you're spiritual, you call it a demon, you know, a bad spirit or something like that. But oh, religious people call it that too. But I feel like it's just um, something that's passed on. And the person who did it to me, I believe something was done to them when they were younger. And, and feeling that that's true, and I feel like I'm almost certain that it's true, I feel like it's hard for me to continue to hate them. I used to hate them when I was in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, through the mid-20s, through my mid-20s. But now I see things in a different light. I feel a little more compassion for them knowing that if they ever had to experience the fear and the panic and the discomfort and sadness and all of the emotions that I had to go through and all of the 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 feelings that I felt in the moment of, of going through the sexual abuse, if they ever had to feel that in their lives, then knowing how I felt going through it, I have compassion. I have pity for them knowing that they felt the same way as a little child and no one protected them. No one kept them safe. No one saved them and no one helped them. That's that's to me. That's sad. Most people, you know, would probably just go the rest of their lives hating the person who hurt them. But I don't know. I think it's easier to live and to live more peacefully. If you just find a way you don't have to. Don't get me wrong. You don't have to. But for me, it's just been more peaceful to find a way to have compassion for that person and try to uh, try to find a way to to the best way for me to have compassion for a person is to see them as a child, because usually that's where these bad behaviors and bad habits are formed. And they like I said, they don't come from nowhere. So they were once that scared, vulnerable child that they made me out to be or made you out to be. So that's just my opinion. Take it or leave it. It's okay. But one of the things that happens when you have PTSD is that you're easily startled and you always feel tense or on edge. And sometimes you have difficulty sleeping and you get angry very easily. And these are all things that I've experienced as well. So in giving you a little bit of information about what PTSD looks like, I want to now tell you or share a story with you about where my PTSD came from. So I'm not going to get graphic. So don't worry, don't get scared, but even still, some people might feel uncomfortable. So, you know, I respect that. Anyway, I was, I'm not going to hesitate and say I was, <laughs> okay, give me a minute. Okay, whew, I was, um, I was, uh, how old was I? I, I was sexually abused, I want to say it, was, it started before eight or nine years old, before seven years old, but the memories that I have that I feel like are directly linked to the PTSD that I've been diagnosed with in the past, I believe they come from around the ages of between like seven and 14 years old. And so I remember when I was between the ages of specifically seven and 10, I had to go to this relative's house, you know, on the weekend sometimes because, you know, I had little kids who are over there that I like to play with and like to spend time with. And so usually when you go over to a relative's house who has children your age to play with, like the natural thing to do if things, if it gets kind of late and the person lives kind of far from your home, you just spend the night, you make a cot on the floor or you all pile into one bed or whatever the case may be. And you just make a night of it, make a slumber party of it, just naturally slumber party. Talking fast, calm down. Anyway, that's my self-talk. I don't know if you caught that. Anyway, so... Um, there were a couple of times that I spent the night at this relative's house 
and in the middle of the night he would come into like the bedroom where I slept or come into the bed where I laid and he would do bad things I'm gonna try to sugarcoat it like that because I don't want to give graphic details so um, after experiencing that a couple of times I kind of got used to it and as I got used to knowing that he was gonna do that I feel like he became more aggressive and he started to be less um, subtle about his methods of sexual abuse so there was I remember one time in particular we were spending the night at this relative's house and he said like before all the kids got tired and you know were ready to wind down and go to bed he made a comment about how you know it was really cold out it's winter time and and the heater in the house um, wasn't working and so everyone had to sleep in the same room all at everyone he and his wife were in the bed their kids were in the bed and uh, we were on the floor the other kids were on the floor and so he's like we have to all sleep in the same room because the body heat will help keep us warm because we don't have heat in this house and so that night we all slept in the room and I knew something was wrong because of that first like my dad taught me to trust my intuition like he helped me to hone my intuitive skills and so I could just feel something was wrong but I couldn't put my finger because I'm like eight years old nine years old maybe seven I don't know but I was young so how do I articulate that I don't trust this situation at that young of an age so we got into the room when it was time to go to bed I want to say it was about 11 o'clock and when we were getting ready to lay down, he told us how to lay on the floor, like in what position we were supposed to lay in. And lay me out, I'm not saying position, like sexual position, it's just position, like easy access position. So he had his kids in the bed with him and he had us on the floor and we were had to lay at his bedside and our heads were against the closet and our feet were at the edge of his, the side of his bed. And hopefully this can, like this makes sense in your mind what I'm trying to say. Our feet being at the edge of his bed on the floor, if he swung his feet off the bed, then he would be sitting, like, staring over us vertically, if that makes sense. Like, our feet would be at his feet, and our heads would be at the wall, at the closet, if that makes sense. So, I felt like, even though I was young, I felt like that seems like, you know, a weird, you know, request. We could have slept anywhere in any curled up position, but he wanted us to sleep specifically that way. So we did. And then, in... As the hours rolled on, everybody was winding down in the bed and falling asleep. You know, no more joke time, no more laughing, no more giggling. Everybody just goes to sleep. I kept looking at the clock thinking, I really need it to be morning. I need the sun to come up now because if the sun doesn't come up now, something's going to happen. And I just didn't trust the situation. So I kept looking at the clock and just kept like, oh, please let it, please let it turn 6 a.m. Please let the sun come up. Like, I need a miracle. I need for it to be 6 a.m., 7 a.m. I need the sun to be out. And so I remember looking at the clock on the dresser and also looking out the window over the bed and looking at the street lights and at the skylight and there were times when I would just stare at the sky more than I stared at the clock and I thought that the sun was coming up and I got so excited because the light outside just kept getting so bright but it was wishful thinking and I think maybe the moon might have like set or something like that because it was just the street light getting brighter because the skylight got dark I mean the, the night sky got darker and so I looked at the clock, it was like 1.30 or 2 in the morning. And I'm like, okay, four more hours, we can do this. And I'm like, wait, what time does the sun rise? Maybe five more hours, but we can do this. But around like 2 o'clock in the morning, just as I suspected, in my spirit, I just knew it. His wife was snoring, his kids were snoring, everyone was like dead asleep. I was still awake, and then his feet swung off the bed. And I was like, oh my God. And as soon as I saw one foot drop, 
I just hopped up and I sat under my breath. I have to go to the bathroom. And I just ran out of the room and the door was closed and it was locked too. And it made me so mad. I remember feeling anger when I realized that the door was locked. And I'm like, why'd you lock this door? And so I unlocked the door and I really thought that like in my mind, in my adolescent mind, I swore his hands were just behind me reaching and grabbing. You know, like in scary movies when the demon arms are like trying to grab somebody as they're running away. It felt like I just knew he was grabbing, he was going to get me. But he didn't. I opened the door and I just ran. And I went into the bathroom and I locked the door and I sat on the floor with my back against the bathroom door and my feet against the bathroom sink. And I just waited. And I started to think, you know, what can I do? And I feel like that's a lot for a young mind to have to process, but I had to try to come up with some logic to try to save my own life. That's how I felt. Like it was fight or flight. I needed to get out of there. And that's definitely not fair for a child to have to experience that. That's that's one thing I always think to myself. It's not fair to make a child feel that much fear in their own skin and in their own life, you know. But I digress. So I sat in the bathroom floor and I looked out the bathroom window, which led to the backyard of his house. And I thought to myself, it was big enough to, to climb out. The bathroom window was big enough to climb out. So I thought, I think I'm going to climb out of this bathroom window and go to the neighbor's house. But then I remember that the neighbor was a man. And so I thought to myself, if I go over to this man's house, I might be worse off there than I am here because this person is like my family, my relative. So he's supposed to take care of me. So if he doesn't, how am I supposed to expect to be safe with the man next door? What if worse things happen? This is my seven, eight, nine-year-old brain trying to like logically think of a plan. And that's what I was thinking. I'm like, he might do worse things. So then I thought, okay, what if I walked home? Now, now that's how you can tell that I was young because my next plan was to walk home in the middle of the night. I had to try to think really hard. How do I keep safe? And I thought, okay, I can't walk home because it takes 30 minutes to drive here, which means it would probably take longer to walk. And there's crazy people on the street. I probably would never come home. I don't like thinking about that, but that's what I thought. So I said, okay, I can't do that. And then I got mad. I realized I could have, I wish I had time and I wish I had known. I should have slept with the phone in my pocket or something because I could have brought the phone into the bedroom. And I could have called my mom or my dad and said, can you come get me please? But I didn't do that. And so... I just sat there thinking, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do right now. So I just started praying. I'm like, let me just talk to God. You know, like God allows certain things to happen. And, you know, it's like mysteries to man. We don't know why, you know, but we have to just trust that he's still there. And I did. So I just talked to him until I wasn't trying to fall asleep. I was trying to be vigilant and stay up and keep myself safe in case he tried to jiggle on the door handle or come inside. But I talked to God and usually talking to God puts me to sleep whenever I feel tense stress and intense fear and like, you know, like I'm like my life is in danger. If I ever talk to him, I usually will calm down and then wind up falling asleep. So I talked to him and next thing I woke up and it was sunrise and I realized I had fallen asleep. I didn't know how, but I do now. Anyway, so I woke up and I looked all around to see if there was any sign that he had gotten into the bathroom, but the door was still locked. Everything was still intact from what I could feel. Like I was checking myself, like, you know, am I okay? And it felt like I was, I felt no pain. So I was like, okay, I'm good. So I got up and I was still scared to open the bathroom door. Bathroom door. I remember standing at the bathroom door, listening and trying to find a way to see out, to see if he was out there. That's how scared I was. I remember trying to find a way to like calm my mind. I still thought, even though it was daylight, I thought to myself, I want to climb out this window and then go knock on the back door or try to get in through the back door. But I, got, I remember getting on the bathroom floor, looking under the door and I couldn't really see too much, but I didn't see any feet or any shadows. So I, I remember kind of seeing the doors to the hallway and to the other bedrooms and it looked like no one was there but I still was afraid because there were corners that you can't see underneath the bathroom door and I thought what if he's on the side and he just pops out and what if he's mad that I hear from him and you know all kind of things like that and so I just had to 
take a few breaths. And I stood there for minutes, holding on to the door, just like literally trying to just trust my instinct. Like, do I hear him? Do I feel like he's out there? And I had to just say, you know what? Just face the music, girl. Just go out there and see what happens. So I opened up the door and I had to come up with a lie too. And I thought to myself, okay, I'll just tell him that my stomach hurt and I've been on the toilet all night. So I came up with all this stuff and then I opened the door and no one was out there. But that's these are, these are the kinds of things that a person can endure that can cause PTSD later on in life because that intense fear in that moment, once you've been that afraid, it seems like it just doesn't go away. But like everyone doesn't get it according to what I've been reading about on the National Institute of Mental Health, not everyone who experiences shocking and scary and dangerous events gets PTSD. Some people experience that, but they're able to bounce back and, you know, deal with life without having triggers come up to remind them of the event. So unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. I have triggers. Hey, it's okay. Raise my hand. Hi, my name is Audrey and I have triggers. Anyway, so I walked out the door and went into the bedroom and I just thought to myself, I don't want to come over here anymore. But, you know, when someone sexually abuses a child, oftentimes what goes along with that is don't tell anybody or you're going to be in trouble. Don't tell anybody or this and another is going to happen to you. And usually it's something that continues the fear and perpetuates the fear inside of you. And so, as you can imagine, those are the things that were being told to me. Don't tell your mom because she wouldn't understand. Don't tell your dad. Don't tell your uncles. Don't tell, you know, just don't tell anybody because if you do, then you're going to get in trouble. And so I never told anybody. So I was forced to go over to this person's house constantly because no one knew that he was doing these things. And I kind of feel like people did, but people just ignored it because in certain communities, not just the black community, but in certain communities in certain families in certain areas, people don't like to deal with that because sometimes the person who is the sexual abuser is the only breadwinner in the family. Or sometimes the person who's a sexual abuser is so respected in the community that people will never believe you. Or sometimes the person, there's just so many different things that can make a person or make that person seem more powerful than the one that they're abusing. And so it's easy for the, the child, the teenager, the woman, whoever, to just get stuck in the silence. So I had to keep going over. I tried to show it in my behavior and in my demeanor that I didn't like going over there, but you know, sometimes people get ignored. People don't listen. So going over there a few times and, you know, experiencing that, I I feel like I became an introverted kid, but that's going to go into a different, you know, subject, so I don't want to go into that. But there came a point that this man got hip to my tactics of avoidance, and he broke the lock on the bathroom door. So there was one night I got up when we had to go to bed, and he had us in a certain room. I got up. Like, I just grabbed a blanket and a pillow and a robe and just decided, like, I got, like, into this habit of going into the bathroom and sleeping whenever I had to go to his house. And so I developed a habit of preparing for the occasion. So I grabbed a cell phone, not the cell phone, I'm sorry, the cordless phone. I grabbed the cordless phone. I grabbed a blanket. I grabbed a pillow. I grabbed everything I thought I would need. I even grabbed, like, water, snacks, whatever I could think of to make sure that I could stay there comfortably. Kind of like in a prison, in a sense. I can stay there comfortably for as long as I needed to in order to like survive the night. And after a couple of times of doing that, one time he caught me bringing the pillow into the bathroom and he said, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm sleepwalking. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So I put it back and I tried to pretend that I didn't mean to do that. And I waited till it got quiet and I did it again and slept in the bathroom. And so obviously he came looking for me in the room and I wasn't there. So the next time I came to spend the night at his house, the bathroom door lock was broken. 
And on top of it being broken, when I would push my back against the door and put my feet against the wall or against the bathroom sink to create this like tension and resistance so he wouldn't be able to get in. I'm putting up air quotes because I was a kid. He was stronger than I was. But when I try to put the resistance up, at some point, you know, you're, you're young. Your body gives in. You get tired. You just can't help but fall asleep. So I would fall asleep and I would wake up in the morning and the door would be open, like pushed far open. And I would feel like a tenderness or a soreness between my legs. And I thought to myself, because I wasn't awake for it, I don't know what happened. So I would, I remember sitting on the couch drinking water, trying to drink water until I felt better between my legs because I just wanted to think that it was something else and not what it most likely was. So these things happening over the course of years, they build up a lot of different emotions, a lot of different fears and a lot of different feelings inside of a person. And so for me, it turned into PTSD, but I didn't know it was PTSD until I was in my 20s. And I've talked to a therapist and to be even more honest, a part of what makes it, you know, the PTSD real is that I have never dated and I've never had sexual intercourse willingly with a person because those things like uh, having a man touch me or hug me or be close to me for a long time, I couldn't let a man that I didn't know hug me or touch me. It would really make me uncomfortable. I remember there was one time when I was about 17 I'm going to tell a bunch of different stories, but hopefully you can keep up with me. When I was about 17, I had um, one of the symptoms I told you about was being easily startled. So when I was 17, I was hanging outside with some of my homegirls. And we used to hang outside with some of the boys in the neighborhood that we had grown up with since we were like five years old. So these guys I trusted, like my brothers, like my family, like I trusted them like I trust my dad. So growing up with them, you know, I didn't feel like unsafe with them. So we're standing outside and my back was facing the street. And one of my friends walked up behind me. He was slightly older. I'm 17 and he was like second year in college. So he walked up behind me, didn't know he was coming. And he grabbed my elbows and said, boo. And I got so startled that I started swinging on him. I started to fight him, like making, you know, like trying to land punches on him. And he had to grab my arms and restrain me and said, you know, what, what the hell was that? And so he pulled me to the side and he was like, no, we need to talk. And he was like, I'm not trying to be like a therapist. I'm not saying that I'm a therapist, but what you just did is not normal. And he said, I have to take, I'm taking a psychology class right now in my semester. And in my psychology class, it talks about trauma. And it says that, you know, people who experience trauma can be easily triggered by the smallest things. And he said, I don't know if you want to hear this, but I think something happened to you when you were younger. And at 17, I hadn't seen this person who had sexually abused me for at least like two years. And so I feel like in that two year period, I must have blocked out the memory of the sexual abuse or I must have like labeled it in my mind as something else so that I would never have to think of it again but something happened the reason why I didn't readily I wasn't able to readily go back to the memory and say oh yeah I was sexually abused when he told when my friend told me this like I think something happened to you like you were sexually abused you might have even been raped or something and you just don't remember it because that's not a normal response like you've seen me come up to all y'all and like scare y'all that's what I do and everyone else just laughs and like you know, they get a little mad playfully, but they laugh. But you're ready to fight me. So that's that's a trigger. And I didn't know what triggers really meant. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I remember just standing there with them thinking, like, did, this, did something happen to me? How, how would I be able to forget something? But again, on the National Institute of Mental Health, it says that some of the cognition and mood symptoms include trouble remembering key features of the traumatic event. And so it is possible that if the event was so traumatic, that your mind couldn't really handle it, that your brain can choose to erase it, to delete it, 
temporarily or permanently just to try to save you from a mental breakdown, you know, a mental health crisis, you know. And so I just didn't remember it, I guess, at that time. Or I just didn't, I hadn't called it what it was. I thought it was weird, but I never called it what it was. And so he told me, years from now, we might not be friends anymore. We might not even know each other. Life may take us in different directions, but I guarantee you, when you come to the realization that something happened to you as a child that was traumatic, you're going to remember me. And he was right. When I finally came to the realization that something happened to me in a sexual manner that was inappropriate, I did remember him and I still do. And now I remember every word he said to me. I may not have remembered what happened, you know, two years prior to what he did, but I remember everything he said to me to this day. And I appreciate him for being so blunt and honest because it's been a part of what has helped me and it's been like a catalyst to me getting help. If I never heard that from him, I probably would still be in the same position I was in then. Not remembering, not thinking of, not calling it what it was, not accepting that something bad happened to me. So I say all this to say, I'm like, I feel like I kind of forgot where I was going with it, but this whole story is pretty much my per- my point of trying to explain how PTSD can come about and how it has affected me based on, you know, an event that um, took place that of course was against my will. And I've... I want to tell the story later of how I confronted the person who sexually abused me because it was very empowering. It was very scary, though. I thought I was going to, like, throw up and, you know, I confronted this person face to face. But before I get to that, I kind of just want to explain this part first, you know, sexual abuse and the aftermath of it, you know, because a lot of people don't, some people don't think that there is an aftermath that could last this long. So people think the aftermath is just like a few months, a few years, you know, but it, not to sound, you know, negative or sound dark, but it can be a lifelong battle and it's okay. As long as you know how to manage it, as long as you know how to deal with it, as long as you're admitting it and you're making steps to work towards getting better and getting through it, then that's what makes it, you know, it's not worth the while. That's like the wrong word to use is if I could choose for a different outcome or a different past, That part, I would definitely say I wish that that didn't happen. But because I can't do that, I have to find ways to accept life the way it is. Don't run from life the way it is, but accept it the way it is. So, you know, PTSD is is a bitch. Can I say that? Yes, I can. It's a bitch. But I'm grateful for having the skills and having the therapist and having the friends and the people around me who have helped me to get through it. I've had some bad people, too. Had a few therapists who tried to blame me for what happened. They said after a certain point or a certain age, I should have stopped going over there. And if I, the fact that I didn't stop going over there means I still, I must have wanted it. And that is so erroneous, so incorrect, so unfair for any person to ever put that on a sexual abuse survivor. Because there's no point in time that a child could ever say, I want sexual abuse. I want this person to do sexual things to me. Like a child doesn't know that a child can't, I don't care if you are 16, 17 years old, if someone sexually abuses you and they have like an authoritative presence in your life, you know, they're your teacher, they're your, your boss. If you're 16 and you work, they're your father, they're your mother, even, I mean, you never know if someone isn't like an authoritarian, if that's the word in your life and they choose to use their power against you. It's never your fault. And don't let anyone tell you you should have not gone around them. It's your, you, you, sh- you must have wanted it. You must have liked it. Even the person who did what he did to me, when I confronted him when I was about 27, he said that to me. Well, if you didn't like what I did, why were you always coming around? I had no choice. I was a child. And I'm not going to let him or anyone else try to put me in the position of feeling misplaced 
blame or misplaced guilt. Because definitely one of the symptoms of PTSD, oftentimes we feel distorted feelings of guilt or blame, thinking that somehow it must be my fault. And even admitting it to the world some, sometimes feels, you know, makes, makes me feel guilty. Like saying it right now, saying it to people, sometimes I feel this guilt because I feel like I'm hurting that person. If I tell the world what he did to me, I feel like I'm doing him an injustice by exposing his secret, even though he gifted that secret to me. And I don't literally mean gift because it's not a good thing, but I mean, he did what he did to me. I didn't have a choice to not have that happen. So if I want to tell the world, he doesn't have a choice in not having that happen. It's kind of like um, reciprocity, but in a negative way for one person and in a positive way for the other. But I feel like I'm kind of rambling a little bit because this whole situation makes me nervous, but hopefully you guys have been able to follow. This is like the longest episode I've ever done because it takes a lot to tell this story. And when I listen back to it, hopefully it'll still connect in some way, you know, because like I said, it relates to how even to this day, I still have triggers. I'm 30 years old, going on 31, and I still have things that trigger that fear and that discomfort and that panic within me. And I'm just grateful that I, like I said, found tools to, to cope with and to work through and to help me as I manage the symptoms of PTSD. It's definitely not the kind of thing that makes life not worth living, in my opinion. Having PTSD, having anxiety disorders of all different kinds are not something that makes life not worth living. Of course, moments like moments will come where the thoughts will cross my mind that are, you know, like, I wonder if I'd be better off not here. That's you know, it's a part of being anxious or having mental health issues. You, you'll you have those thoughts. But the reality is, for me, it's not. It's not worth not being here. I'd rather be here and deal with it than to not be here. So I continue to fight through it. And I share my story with anybody who will listen. And I keep my little crystals near me as I meditate on the different things that, you know, that life kind of brings near me. And one of my favorite crystals to use when it comes to like PTSD or it comes to like panic thoughts or um, invasive thoughts is the selenite. Some people might call it selenite, but selenite, it is this really clear, delicate crystal that can easily be uh, dissolved in water and it can crack very easily because it's so delicate, but it is amazing for dreams. And I think I might have discussed it in the past when I talked about crystals being a black hippie chick, but I'm not a hippie. But this crystal, whenever I'm having dreams that seem to not be fulfilled or not give me full answers, I like to put this crystal under my pillow because putting it under my pillow allows the dream to like completely come to fruition and allows me to understand what my subconscious is trying to tell me so that I can lay it all out on the table and deal with it directly as opposed to wondering why these dreams keep coming that I don't understand. This crystal gives clarity to my dreams. And so that's one of the things that helps me with PTSD and I think I told the story about how I put it under my sister's pillow just to make sure I wasn't tripping because I had it under my pillow and had this really intense dream that just felt so real and felt so clear and gave me so much insight into my life. And I thought, this can't be. So I put it under my sister's pillow without her knowledge just to see if she would have a dream. And she woke up just so excited and like a little put off. Like I had this weird dream. I don't know what, like what caused, I've never had a dream like this before. So it let me know, okay, I'm going to keep using this whenever I have these feelings in my subconscious that are just stirring around but not really coming to the forefront, I'm going to put it under my pillow to kind of bring insight and clarity so I can use that clarity and insight and move forward in life from there. So like I said, this is the longest episode I've done. I hope that, you know, you're able to follow. I'm going to listen back to it, but I feel like I'm just going to post it no matter what because I don't want to let fear make me 
or hypercritical or hyper how, how do you say it like hypercritical I don't know I can't think of a word I can't think of a way to describe it but I don't want to be hypercritical so much so that I don't want to share my story because I think that when we share our stories we inevitably help other people who don't even know that there's a story out there like their own so Oh my God, my OCD is kicking in. It was at 36 and zero seconds and I wanted to post it like right there. Anyway, I thank you all so much for listening and I hope you listen again tomorrow.